Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to episode number eight of the Peer Project Podcast. And if you're watching this on YouTube or wherever you get your video podcast, then welcome to The Den. This is the first time that I'm recording out The Den. I normally do this on my kitchen table, but I've decided to re- repurpose The Den um, so we can get more podcasting going on and more video podcasts and things like that but if you are listening on itunes or anywhere else that you get your podcast you are welcome to go and have a wee look at the den all over uh, our social media um before i get started today and talking about this week's guest i want to say a special thank you to a few people first of all uh, the first person that i want to say thank you is a gentleman by the name of ellis now ellis i don't know ellis from Diddly Squat. I know nothing about this guy. But I tweeted out a wee while ago that things were a bit tight because of the cost of living crisis and uh, Ellis found my coffee page and uh, donated some money towards the podcast. So um, thank you, Ellis. And that means that today, today's episode is, um, is yours. So Ellis is our executive producer of today's podcast now um all of the links are all over the social media just look for jukebox events or juke writes books and you can find it all there including the coffee link where you can buy a coffee and support the podcast there now on to this week's guest is uh, i've been looking forward to this one for weeks and to be honest with you i had scheduled an interview with her um about about two weeks ago but Things got in the way, you know, children and things like that. But I am, so this week, it's going to be a good one. If you've ever listened to the podcast, Sweet Bobby, then you might know who this person is. It's a lady by the name of Kirat. And uh, Kirat is, um, quite frankly, a victim of catfishing. And one of the most elaborate catfishing scams that, that there's ever been. It's unbelievable, honestly, and um, I'm not going to tell you to go away and listen to the Sweet Bobby podcast just now. You can listen to it after this podcast. Um, just this whole story about Kira and Bobby and the twists and turns behind it, and that's 10 years of her life just disappeared. And we're talking about how that affects her mental health and how she's overcome these these. I want to say demons, it's maybe not even the right word, just how overcome these hurdles in her life that she didn't even ask for. So, 
I want you to sit back, I want you to relax, and I really want you to listen and just take in what Kira has got to say on episode eight of the Peer Project podcast. I only discovered the podcast purely by accident because I was, um, I was, I, I just got really, really got obsessed with true crime podcasts. And then I Googled, you know, some of the most popular true crime prod- podcasts. Yeah. And this sweet Bobby came up and I was like, oh, I'll give this a wee go. And <laughs> within, you know, within minutes, I was hooked on the thing because the story itself is. You know, it's something almost that that could be written, you know, could be made up by someone. It's so far fetched that. But you couldn't make it up either. Like I remember, I used to sit in the office with my colleagues, and when stuff would happen, Mm -hmm. I'd say, "Like it's so crazy, you couldn't even write it." It Was that was my words? That often Uh that's what I would say. It was. It was so dramatic. With the the kind of twists and turns, especially how it turned out at the end, that it did almost seem made up. And I mean that, and I mean that in the nicest way. I'm not saying that it's made up because we know that it's not. But it just, well, it is. yeah, what, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, I mean the story itself. But um, for people who who haven't. Um, who haven't heard the Sweet Bobby podcast? They're only listening to to my podcast for the first time. Now I don't want to go into the the whole thing because it's like an eight episode podcast and we don't have that much time. But why don't you try and give us the the short version of of what happened? Um, if there is a short I, version, oh, it's really hard to cut a very long story short. Uh, I was approached online by somebody who was a family, extended family, um, who's dating another one of my cousins. And yeah, he passed away. Then his brother got in touch with me to, to say thank you and just started talking to me. We, you know, I was in a relationship. He was in a relationship. It was nothing like that. We just talked occasionally. Um, and that went on for a few years. And then eventually you know, he, he became really ill. You know, he... He died, he came alive again, which is all of a weird thing anyway, but I wasn't that close to him. We ended up in a relationship while he was paralyzed and that was and in a hospital in New York and that was kind of by accident. I thought he was going to die and he had a few months left to live. He never died. And it just went from bad to worse and it involved lots of people, like him talking to a lot of people around me, um, my friends and family, me talking to his friends and family constantly, um, and then it slowly, as, as things became weirder and we wouldn't see each other, he wouldn't see me, it became kind of controlling and abusive and quite nasty and not just from like one person, but it would be sometimes different people, mm-hmm. but it ended up, you know, I, I, and you know, for me, it was like all those questions, is he real? Of course I'd met him. I'd bumped into him. I know his family. I've got pictures in his family and with his family and, there was all of that but then my cousin um who had been dating his brother in the first instance um she knew the family really well and she'd been out and she me about presents from him and seen him but it turned out it was all her <laughs> so and just to kind of give a bit of clarification here this is 10 years of your life that we're talking about it's not just you know a few months or something this is 10 years this is a a long long time 
Yeah, it started, it all started back in 2009 and it was like a gradual getting to know me, I guess, for the first mm -hmm. few years. I don't know what was going on, to be honest. Um, and then from the relationship point, you know, there was that kind of happy period, like, you know, what you call your honeymoon period. But again, he was mm -hmm. paralyzed in hospital. Um, and then a few months later, it just, once his family began, began to get involved and things, it started becoming quite horrible. So he was supportive, but the, the situation became nasty. And then eventually he became horrible. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was just not great. <laughs> and when you refer to these other family members as well, these aren't, this is all your cousin, isn't it? It's not, this is this, this community was created by your cousin. Is that right? So yeah, every single person that I'd been speaking to had been um, her. Mm -hmm. Um and we found, you know, I found about 60 profiles and some of them had multiple ways of communication. So they might be on different, lots of different social media channels. They might have emails, phone numbers. I'd be con communicating with people in different ways. Um, and again, there were people that I thought I knew, like mm -hmm. I know who they were. My family knows who they are. Like lots of us. It wasn't just me talking. It was lots of people talking to mm -hmm. him. Um, around me so there was that kind of whole thing you felt comfortable it wasn't like a one-on-one -on -one conversation in isolation from everybody else and I was again I was talking to his family and friends um, but everything had been a big setup um, I think I only approached one person myself when something went wrong and even that person was a fake <laughs> um, but I'd met him with him in Brighton so I knew it was his friend I'd seen him in lots of pictures with him and when I'd seen him in Brighton he was the one that was with him mm -hmm. so when I reached out to him I assume you'd assume it's the real person he's not approached me I've approached him mm -hmm. um that's the uh, that's the situation in the the nightclub is that right is that the the, the yeah. two me that that was spoken about in the podcast as well so very early on after speaking to Bobby, um, I a few months later, it was my friend's hen weekend and we were down in Brighton. At this point, I didn't even know where he lived. So mm -hmm. it was a massive shock to me as I walked past in the club. Um, and I recognised him and his friend um, and I went over and chatted to them. But it was like quite late by then. <laughs> bit noisy and he did respond but he just seemed a little bit oblivious and given that we hadn't met face to face before like knowingly ever mm -hmm. um it was you know I was just like kind of let's just leave it I don't want to embarrass him he's always been very respectful very polite you know I don't want to put him in an awkward position and I never even told him that mm -hmm. I met him um I just let it go because he wasn't like a best friend or anything like that you know sure. it was just yeah so I mean, the thing is, right, we, we could sit here and we could talk about this whole story and we could be here until midnight talking about it and <laughs> we wouldn't even scratch the surface. So what I'm going to say right away is anybody who is interested in this, in the backstory of this, go and listen to the podcast, OK, because the, the Sweet Bobby podcast is... Is first of all, it's phenomenally produced. It's an it's an excellent story, for, and using the best term, using the, the 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 best term of the word here, excellent because obviously it's a it's a true story of something very traumatic that happened to you, 
but the way it's produced and the way it's put forward is 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 very creative and it's really interesting and it's uh, mm. and it's uh, yeah it's just it, it, it's it's great and I, I would really encourage anybody to go and listen to it not right now because you're listening to my podcast but <laughs> you know maybe one, once you finish this one go back and uh, go back and listen to it so we are what now two three years removed from the the big reveal i would say it was so 2019 four years four years yeah four years just gone four years uh where it was revealed that you know bobby and this entire community um behind bobby was one person it was your your cousin um can i know that that she's named in the podcast can can, are we all right to talk about her yeah you're allowed to name her i just don't feel comfortable saying her name but yeah simran Simran? Yeah, Simran. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so it turns out that that is that was your cousin. This entire community, um, four years removed. How are you from this? How are you? Thank you for asking. I um, I take one day at a time. Mm. Honestly, I take one one day at a time, and I'm just determined to get on with the rest of my life. Um, you know, there's there's lots and lots of barriers. Nothing, mm-hmm. you know, I can't go back to where I was. I'm probably not where I expected to be. Or, you know, I can't go to sort of skip forward and say, well, this is where I should have been now, so I'm there now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of question marks about my life, where it's going, how it's going. But, you know, you just got to get on with it and... For me, it's that thing. And I'm worried. I worry sometimes, um, mm-hmm. well, a lot of the time. But you you do just have to get on with it. Because if I sit there and dwell in the past, I'm never going to move forward. And that's the biggest thing for me. I can sit there. I can want sympathy. I can sit there and want all the hugs in the world. Yes, we all want those when we're feeling down. But it's not... I mean, for those three first, uh, until the civil case happened and... And I mean, I didn't know the podcast was going to happen. It, mm-hmm. You know, the way that happened was kind of crazy in itself. But um, I had to stay quiet because nobody believed me. Everyone thought I was mad when I mm-hmm. would start saying this. So I just gave up. So I learned to sort of keep quiet and just get on with it then. And in the background, I knew that all this work was going on because I'm the kind of person that, you know, I gave you chances. I've, you know, I, I'm not a nasty person. I'm not spiteful. I'm not revengeful. I haven't got the energy. I'm not the kind of person that wastes energy on those things. Mm-hmm. But this is something that's really big, really important. And I think it affects more people um, than people dare to say. Um, and I think I, uh, my faith plays a big part in my life. And I think um, I wouldn't have been put through something as crazy and huge as this if they're mm-hmm. without a reason. So if I can turn it into a positive and help others or anything like that, I think that that for me is a good thing. Um, and it's not, nothing will ever say, I won't say it was worth going through that for that. But, yeah. but you know, it, it's, if it can help others in some way, if it gives other people confidence to speak up, if it means that we can right some wrongs in society in the way that we approach things and talk to people and do things, then mm-hmm. that's, you know, it's a small win. You mentioned um, 
you said something quite interesting there about the fact that you know this this does happen to other people and probably more people than what what we might realize um do you think that there's a, a maybe a, a sense of uh, embarrassment in and, and and forgive me again I'm I'm using I'm using maybe using the wrong terms here okay but obviously in in your case it was it was so intricate it was so cleverly done right it was very very smart but there must be a sense of embarrassment thinking that that you were duped in a sense and do you think that's maybe why people don't speak out about this sort of thing for me i didn't feel the embarrassment i just thought it was such a huge deception mm-hmm. and i'd done nothing wrong um and i think the other thing for me was i was on a dating site i was in a relationship um, I wasn't looking for love online. I'm very private online. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a radio presenter since 2004. So had I wanted to have like a, a separate profile and a million followers, I'd be accepting all the friend requests in the world. But I'm not like that. I'm very the opposite of that. And, you know, there's a million and one examples and sort of my DMs and inboxes of like, you know, they have those little dodgy messages that come in yeah. and I've just said sorry do I know you you know literally I'm as blunt as that sorry mm-hmm. have we met do I know you politely and usually you know depending on who it is you might get a lot of abuse back <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know it's just so I've always been that person so I didn't feel I had anything to be ashamed about I've not sent any nudes I've not done any dodgy videos I've, mm-hmm. so I, I've not done anything and, you know, had I wanted to do them, I'm sure I'm okay to do that if I wanted to. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's the kind of stuff people will judge. And it's one of the first questions that I got asked. Did you send any dodgy photos? Did you send any dodgy videos? And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I didn't. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it's where people's mind is when they're talking to you is not are you okay it's something it's in the gutter mm-hmm. it's people's mindsets that they need to change and um so I didn't feel I didn't feel embarrassed but I can imagine a lot of people do um there's a lot of um horrible things said about uh, sort of romance fraud that it's women mm-hmm. um a lot of people that have approached me are actually men that I know that it's happened to oh, um wow. I think men find it harder mm-hmm then most speak about it. So yeah. women, you know, women are ashamed all the time and maybe women find it easier to talk about this stuff, but I can't imagine many men find it easy to talk about this. Can you imagine the ribbing they'd get from their mates? Sure. Um, it, you know, it's, it's not an easy subject to talk about. And I think that's wrong. And I did take, you know, we shouldn't stop victim shame. We need to stop victim shaming. Mm-hmm. We need to allow people to speak out and we need to listen. Um, on the, the on the subject of victim shaming, um, was there any sense? And this is more so from from you and in, in your head. Was there any um, victim blaming in that sense at any point? Even like even when it was revealed that it was your cousin, did you think this is this is my fault? I brought this on myself. Um, and again, this is not my opinion on this, and I will I will I will continue to tread carefully on this. That's fine. Did you ever ask yourself, how could I be so naive to think, to believe this? Um, Naive is maybe not the right word to use, but I hope you understand what I'm asking. I understand where you're coming from. No, um, no, I think, no, I didn't think that because I, I, you know, lots of people say, um, in a gullible, naive, those words, 
but think I think many people in my position, if you understand the way my community works as well, on top of everything. Uh-huh. Um, but if you meet somebody, you know somebody exists, and that's their family, and you're talking to them, and your pet, you know, your, your your family members are talking to them, your cousins, your other friends are talking to them, you know, you've got other ins into his family, um, you know, you know who they are, you mm-hmm. know, like my my, you know, it, it's. And, and even like on on the socials at the beginning, you know, my own cousins were on the fake profiles. So I don't know. Back in two thousand and nine, I don't remember if you remember what Facebook like it was was like. It was very different. Mm-hmm. And working in the sort of the music and media circles, lots of people had two profiles because you didn't have like public page, you know, pages and things like that, yeah. or fan pages and things. Um, so lots of people would have a double two pages a public one and a private one. Um, and, you know, it, there was a lot of that going on at the time and lots of people had two pages. And and um, so things like that weren't so unusual. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, if it's a profile page of somebody you know and you just kind of like, oh, I must have unfriended that person by mistake and they've sent you a new request and it looks legit, you add it. Mm-hmm. So I had so many real people on those fake pages <laughs> who didn't know they were following the fake page. Oh, it's just so... I mean, I, I can picture, you know, Simran with, uh, you know, little, like pictures on the wall, pieces of string all clapped together, trying to work it. So this is the person I spoke to this person that said this was a... Because it is so intricate. And and that's the thing about, about lies as well, is that, you know, it, it's one tiny slip up and you can be, you can be caught out. Um, but this went on for 10 years. I think there were slip-ups, um, but they, I think there were slip-ups, and I think there's two things there. One, I was kept so busy, and so, I mean, I'm quite a rational, logical person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very systematic <laughs> in the way I see and do things. I pay a lot of attention to detail, so I pick up on things quite a lot. But there's, there'd been a long process of learning about me and my responses, I think, before mm-hmm. the relationship phase. Um, but so, they, but I was kept so busy that you can't respond to everything that's happening around you. And so sometimes if there was a slip up, I might've missed it. Right, but then yeah. there were other things where there were slip ups where I'd pick up on them. Either they were justified or that's where the coercive control, the gaslighting started. Sure. A lot of gaslighting started where I, I'm, you know, for people who know me, I've got a very sharp memory mm-hmm. when it comes to certain things, um, which isn't always nice for people because I always remind them of that things. But um, I think that's when I felt like I was beginning to go mad because I knew that wasn't, I was like, no, mm. that definitely wasn't the way. But then you had not one person, you might have two, three, four people telling you you're wrong. They were all one person. But when yeah. you've got, and then you start questioning yourself and your sanity. That's, honestly, I, and and I'll say this as well, just to to the listeners, um, because obviously I'd mentioned it's like was it eight episodes, twelve episodes the the podcast. If you do want like a quick version of it, there is a cracking documentary that I watched last night, uh, the Vice documentary. Um, it's about seventeen minutes long, and that gives you a really good insight um, uh, that to what happened to Kira and the 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 backstory behind it. So, but so four years on and. 
everybody, everybody, any mental illness, any issue that comes along with mental health stems from some sort of early trauma. And obviously, this is a really traumatic time for you, um, especially when, when the review happened, it turned out that it was your cousin. Um, how, how are you at forming relationships now? You know, new relationships, you know, like, for example, you and I have just met. Um, yeah. This is the first time that we've spoken face to face, if you want to, if we can say that. Yeah. Um, but how, how do you feel about, about speaking to me? Do you, do you trust me? You know, after all that. Uh, yeah, I am think thing is this is the thing, and I think my mindset is very different to a lot of people. I, I don't wrap myself in cotton wool. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't wrapped myself in cotton wool. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't do anything. Um, I was was very quick to sort of get up. I, I think at the very beginning, I was extremely. I was when I was really upset. I've missed ten years of my life. Lost ten years of my life, and I was just so. That adrenaline, I was so eager to just get on with it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have an Instagram page at the time. I didn't have, I changed my Twitter handle. I, you know, I reclaim, I wanted, it was so eager to reclaim everything. Um, but that was the adrenaline rush. Yeah. Um, as well. Um, you know, very quickly onto a dating app and I date, dated somebody. But it was again, it wasn't that I wasn't the one person I dated was somebody that had been actually tried to be introduced to me in real life anyway. And he approached me and I was literally off the mm-hmm. dating app, but dating app world was the first time I've done anything like that. And it's scary. And I would never do that ever again. Okay. Um, it's, you know, for me, it was terrifying. Um, but otherwise in real life, IRL, as they say, it's like, I am determined to just get on with it. If Mm -hmm. I, everyone is not my perpetrator. And it's, it's like, you know, you have a bad relationship with anybody. I try to like, I try not to blow it out of proportion. I try to think he had a bad relationship. You had a bad, you know, partner and you bad break up with somebody. It takes you a while to get over it, but you've got, you know, you try and move on and Mm -hmm find somebody new and it's like okay not every single person in the world is like this perpetrator um yeah I have to in my mind know that um everybody is not that person everybody's not going to be able to do that to that degree (laughs) to me to me um and and you know I am careful I am I've got to trust myself I I am quite careful person this is somebody who knows that I'm careful and and Mm -hmm. work the way around that um so I, I'm okay. Where I wobble is relationships and you know, as in not like romantic relationships, but any relationships I've uh-huh. had from before that I'm kind of, I lost lots of friends. I lost touch with lots of people and it's reconnecting with those people. Um, that's where the nerves come in. Mm-hmm. That's where and I have. Yeah. The people that you're reconnecting with now, have they come back into your life since the the podcast and since or since it's been more public about what what you've been through i think some came back you know slowly some you know um since 2018 mm-hmm. i've built new relationships with m- new friends and networks as well <clears throat> i have reached out to old friends some of them and and had their support um but um, since the podcast came out, 
I am, it's opened my eyes to who has reached out and who hasn't and who's responded how. And not that I'm sort of writing lists of names down yeah. on, you know, <laughs> to, you know, not my friend, friend, hate this person. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you just note who you can yeah. trust and who you can rely on. And people have come out of the woodwork who've known me for years and who I've lost touch with, you know, like old friends from uni who haven't spoken to for years and years and years who have reached out with messages of support. And it, it's been really surprising who has and who hasn't. Um, and it's a learning process. Mm -hmm. And you just learn who people really are, I think. Um, so whether that's a positive or a negative, I don't know, because it's sad sometimes. Yeah. Uh Obviously, this is a this is a family matter as well. Um, how how have the family been in terms of supporting you and going forward? Because I know it's mentioned in the podcast um, and one of the, the kind of latter episodes about how I believe, and this is going back now. I'm trying to remember um, that you, you were almost asked not to do anything or not to do anything, not to say anything about it because this is family. Let's keep it within the family. But obviously it's now out there. It's now you know, one of the most popular podcasts in the world. Um, how have the family been since it's been public? Well, it's difficult for the family. I'm not even going to put like, like, you know, you hear my parents in episode six, you hear me, mm -hmm. my dad have a sort of like, Oh, moment, but you know, my parents love me. Yeah. I love my parents. Um, but it's difficult, you know, the, the community that we live in and the way our community and the norms and the social norms are in our community might be different from the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And people don't always understand that. And I can understand that, you know, that's that pull, you know, people say, you know, it's your child, it's your this, but it, it's, it's also your family um and we are a community we're supposed to be close mm -hmm. um things change you know society changes we're here in in the uk and and you know things are slightly different but it's um it's difficult it's, it's horrible for everybody mm. i know i have the support of some family members but there's never been like a great big sit down group anything mm -hmm. ever um everybody talks to me one by one or they don't talk to me at all about it some people choose to totally ignore it it's quite strange in that way so um I just get on with it. I just yeah. go and do what I need to do. If people want to talk to me about it, great. I don't put it out there in people's faces, but I want to be myself. Um, I remember going out at Diwali to the local Gurdwara, um, and that's a sick place of worship. And um, that was the first time since the podcast went out. And I, I felt, you know, you had eyes on me. Yeah. And there were people that were like, talking to my mom happily people who would normally hug me and be nice and just being strange and then I was like you know I, I felt it and then mm -hmm. until I saw a couple there that I knew and they were like talking about the podcast and I was like that was me and they yeah. were like what you know because they've known me growing up uh -huh. um and they were family as well actually and they were just absolutely shocked and then they're like oh no that person's husband knows and that they know so it's just people just don't know how to sometimes say anything <laughs> Um, and I, I think it's, it, but it, you know, that first time I went there, it was, 
like deep breath kind of <coughs> oh, you okay um yeah. <laughs> deep breath kind of moment you know uh, like everyone's looking everyone's mm. staring that horrible feeling that you have um they're not sure if it's me or is it me or yeah. all of that and no one knew what to say so you just when people behave like that i i we just open up the conversation um and yeah it it's it's been tough i don't make anybody talk about it i am surprised by some people's non reactions <clears throat> i'm surprised by how much love from some people that i've had i mean only one member of my extended families come gushingly angry like that was the you know the response that you want from people yeah. your family i think it was only one member of the sort of extended family who had uh, been sent it by a colleague who and she listened to it and then she she texts me and then and you know it was an aunt and mm-hmm. she texts me and then she says can I phone you I'm like of course you can you don't have to like ask my permission to phone me and mm-hmm. she was so angry and she was like what the hell's going on and you know she should be like that. you know and I was like you know as much as I don't agree with some of the, that kind of whatever but just know that there's that love and that concern mm-hmm. for me and that feeling that was you know that was very emotional for me because i'd expected maybe more people to react like that yeah. um or you'd want more people to kind of react like that but i think lots of people are just scared uh-huh so fascinating because i'm i mean obviously we're two different families here and i'm and i'm trying to think about it if it, if it was my family and thinking because i'm obviously I'm, I'm i'm really really close to my cousins and you know everybody's everybody's very close knit and i'm thinking obviously you've been through this and and your cousin is surely and forgive me i, I may be wrong here but surely she's she's out, out of your life now you know this is somebody you I mean you mentioned earlier you, you can barely even say her name um <laughs> um for me, so I was, she was never a close cousin to start with. Right. Um, so, you know, she's much younger than me. Um, she's from the extended family, but I, I'm very much a family person. I think out of probably most of my cousins, I'm the one that turns up at events when none of my cousins turn up because they're like, yeah. it's not for us really. We don't <laughs> want to go, but I still go. Um, I make a point of knowing my family it's my heritage it's my family it's you know that's where I learn everything about my ancestors from and everything and make sure we keep that going going forward you know I'm the one that's done my family tree Um, you know it's all of that I'm that person in the family so yeah I make a point of knowing people and I knew her and but thing is I think you know as I explained I did some work at her school um I, I did an annual project um, there was a government initiative with like schools clusters or something and I was involved with that so there was an annual project with seed funding and it was just based at a school the person I was working with is based at the school and, and every year the event would Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market grow and she was involved mm-hmm. um so I got to know her there you know th- there's lots of connections um with her and her family and obviously she knows who I am and I you know that that kind of thing so when I was approached by the brother I was a bit shocked because she just wasn't the kind of person that I thought would be mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff or into that kind of stuff at her age because that's not how she came across in the family at all at that time um and then but I didn't just go off and speak to him like that mm-hmm. when I'd gone to the school and there'd been a meeting where she was and I just at the end of the meeting I just kind of said I've had this approach you know um do you want me to speak to him or do you not want me to she was like no no please do kind of thing and that was literally all it was because uh-huh. my she knows that my thing would be to protect her <laughs> so that's it that's frustrating to know that as well because your your aim is to protect her yet she was doing all that I can't <laughs> this is me and I don't even know you and I'm sitting here getting angry about it um, I want to talk about um, the real Bobby for a second obviously I know you, the the how this all came to a head at the end was you ended up travelling to, to Brighton to confront Bobby, um, showed up at his house, and it turned out that he had no idea who you were. Yeah. Um, and at that point, your entire world at that point, you know, 10 years of, of relationship, of, of, of love, of life, had just completely disappeared. Um, how did... How did he react when when all this came out like cuz this guy this guy just went about his life for 10 years not knowing that he's in a he's in a relationship with you um <laughs> you know, how, no he wasn't in a relationship with me no exactly but you know how how did he take it how was how was he when all this came out i don't know i i've i've never had a conversation with him directly wow um, really no. that that Okay, that's. I, I've okay. never had a conversation with him directly. Would you, um, if, if it came up, if the opportunity came up, would you? I think I would. 
Um, mm. I've got no issues with it. Um, I don't think, I'm not sure they at the beginning that they understood how big this was mm-hmm. um but i don't know if they do now either i'm not sure but you know it was n- nice that they took part in the podcast mm-hmm. when alexi asked them and um but i've not had any communication post that event at brighton but even that day i literally thought i'd caught my partner red-handed Sure. living a double life yeah it wasn't you know it what i i had thought you know because the behavior was weird we obviously both knew what we were talking about it mm-hmm. was you, you hear it in that episode where like i think whether he's telling his part and i'm telling my exactly the same no one's got any issue it's just like he obviously knew my cousin and i'd passed the phone to him uh-huh. Obviously, I trusted my cousin and you know i just it was just such a such a surreal thing and it must have been surreal for him because i seem to know everything about him mm-hmm. and for me i was like well he knows her and he knows this and he is the right person and my gut feeling had said to me he was in brighton mm-hmm. and when i found him there i wasn't surprised but I, I was surprised when the rest of the family walked out um <laughs> you know it was a massive kick in the gut it was i can't yeah that my whole world came tumbling down at that moment no matter what was going to come ahead of me i didn't know what was coming ahead of me but but that was enough (laughs) yeah and the one one question that that popped up actually my wife and i were talking about this last night and it was it was her it was her idea to ask you this question so you can um (laughs) you can blame her for this one did you did you grieve the 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 loss and I'll use the term loss, but did you grieve the loss of the fake Bobby? Because in your head, that is somebody that is somebody that has been in your life for for such a long time, and then all of a sudden they're not there anymore. They don't exist anymore. Did you have the chance to grieve um, fake Bobby, if you want to call him fake Bobby? This is like the toughest. Um part of it all mm-hmm. i think um i might get a little bit emotional but i'm still going to talk through it but um one i'd seen that happen so i thought he was living a double life and then you find out what you find out mm-hmm. that it's all somebody else and what i think you know and i've probably said this before elsewhere that you know i've lost i didn't just lose bobby I lost my cousin. I lost all the people that were in that scenario. It, they suddenly just didn't exist. Uh-huh. They'd gone without any explanation. What was I supposed to say to anybody? I had no comfort from anybody. Anybody else that had been talking to them was also in shock. Um, I couldn't sleep in my room. I, I, you know, nightmares. And I still occasionally have them. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I do still struggle with these triggers and things, but, you know, you learn to deal with them as time goes on. Um, but that was... I 
imagine losing your whole family overnight you know your hopes your dreams your future just 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 gone just like that you know it's um it was it was really really tough and then not being able to talk to anybody nobody grieving no funeral no nothing no comfort no people not even believing you it's just like that part of my life suddenly didn't exist it just disappeared you know it was I think that's that's the thing that people don't get when this kind of stuff when it happens Mm -hmm. to this degree and um that was really tough and the other thing that I found really tough was that that fake Bobby Wheelbow it wasn't it was like who like separating the two it took me a while which is why I wouldn't speak to anybody mm-hmm. like him or I didn't try to because I needed to separate myself from everything and sensibly yeah. just detach myself and come to terms with, with that isn't that person and that person who I think that person's personality is probably isn't that person so you know you want to talk to that person you you're only going to be thinking of that person as the person you've been talking to so mm-hmm. no I just didn't at all I didn't try um and I wouldn't and I'd said if, if anybody wants to speak to me there has to be somebody else present mm-hmm. um but n- the conversations never happened nothing ever happened no family got involved I tried but nobody wanted to um but yeah so I had to be sensible and I'm I am a quite a sensible person yeah. in that way I just had to just step back because I was not going to have a conversation without any elders or anybody in authority involved. And I needed to make sure that I detached my version of that person from the real person. Yeah. So. So one thing that, um, that I've discovered whilst doing this podcast is that a lot of people, including myself, I'll say this and including myself, um, swear by therapy therapy or or counseling or or whatever you know you've mentioned a lot uh, throughout this chat about your your community and so did you have the opportunity to to get therapy after this is that something that that your community would accept um basically have you spoken to anybody professionally about this yeah, I have. I don't care whether my what my community yeah. think of that. I need to do that for myself, right? So that's the kind of person I need to do that for myself. I'm going yeah. to go and do that. So I did immediately, you know, going to the doctor was one of the first things. My doctor was there for me, um, you know, because immediately it was a, such a big thing. It was such a strange thing and everything that was going on. So my doctor was checking on me on a weekly basis and I could call mm-hmm. anytime I wanted until I got the count because waiting lists. It's yep. amazing how long these waiting lists are. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, uh, fast tracked, but it still took two months to get there. Um, and um, I had counselling, and that initial counselling, a lot of the time, I'd just sit there and just cry because I was still normal life. I was trying to carry on as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. I was just begun a contract in the August of that year. Um. um you know, and soon after that, I started dating somebody. So I, I, I was trying to carry on my life as normal. And, and a lot of the time, I just sit in that counselling session and just sit there. It might be a silence for a whole hour uh-huh. sometimes and just tears falling and saying nothing and just like, like break down for an hour. And now I'm going to work. <laughs> it, was, it was like that. Um, 
and then there was a break and then I was like I need more mm-hmm. um counseling so I did like max as much as I could have out and then I needed more counseling and then I wasn't on another waiting list had to be reassessed um and then it was like, you know, I've got signs of PTSD. Oh, um, goodness. Yeah, of course you have. Yeah. And so it was like, okay. Um, so I had a psychotherapist a second time. And my biggest concern was, the worst thing was, I think the first time I went counselling was explaining what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. That takes up six of your sessions in my scenario anyway. Just, you should have just given them the link to the to the vice doc. Oh, that didn't exist then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> None of those existed then. Um, and so, you know, I didn't want to do that. And I was terrified. I was like, I just need somebody continuous. I, I can't mm-hmm. tell it all over again. Um, but by that time, I think the civil case, I've been talking and I'd sat down and had to rewrite write a witness statement. Um, the police stuff was all over the place. I, I just didn't know what was happening. And, you know, I just felt let down by everybody. And I was mm-hmm. feeling really miserable a few other things had happened like people had taken advantage of my circumstances um the fact that I hadn't told my dad yet because he was still in Kenya mm-hmm. um I was terrified because I didn't want him to be upset out there by himself there's loads of things worried about my family the guilt that I did feel was for my family getting in you know being involved or people that I love my friends some of them mm-hmm. being you know, dragged into this. And that's the guilt I felt and probably still feel that I have to work on. Um, but yeah, I had psychotherapy and my psychotherapist that I had was brilliant. I, I, you know, hats off to her. She said, give me your witness statement and I'll just read it. <laughs> um, she was amazing. And that just put her in a good place from the start. Mm-hmm. to work with me throughout the rest of my sessions. But unfortunately, the way that the health service works, you only have so many sessions you can with somebody mm-hmm. and then you can't go back to that person. If you want to use them privately, you have to like have a massive gap. And if you want to go back back to counselling, there's another massive waiting list. And I have to say the times I've tried in the past now, like in the last two years to have more counselling by the NHS, it's been a massive break. Or they say, no, we think you're okay, you're managing. Just because I'm able to, uh-huh. I'm articulate, I'm still like, as much as I am back to my jolly kind of old, bubbly kind of crazy self. And um, people see that and they don't see the private side of me. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh-huh. Yeah, they just want to put you on antidepressants. And I think oh. I did everything without medications yeah. up to that point. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to do that. I just needed to talk to somebody. Um, so I felt really let down. <laughs> even before the second, the psychotherapy stuff, even before that, I'd been told, no, you're how, okay. How, um, bad, how bad did it get um, privately? Because obviously you'd said that you'd, um, like, outwardly, you're, you're bubbly, well-spoken, but people don't know what was going on behind closed doors. So if anything that you can tell me, what, how bad did it get behind closed doors? It gets like, it can get bad. Like, you know, you have 
and people experience panic attacks in different ways. I have panic attacks. I've had them before. I had them before this. Um, I didn't know that's what they were, but they weren't anywhere near as regular. Um, but, you know, um, the fake Bobby, when I talk, I've had panic attacks on the phone during the stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I knew I was having them. Um, but I, I have like weird triggers. I need, I, I, you know, there's one time I came back from the gym. So the gym was the one thing I allowed myself to treat myself to. That was my treat <laughs> sort of thing after everything. But there's one time I came back from the gym and there was just a piece of music playing that used to be one of our tunes. And I think I came home crying constantly. I went into the shower. I sat and I stood in the shower. You know, just the tears just wouldn't stop. You know, like you have time and you just can't stop. You just don't know how yeah. to stop. It just takes over your body um that was a calm time there's like times where you just want to run away where you know you like triggers like when people don't listen or aren't rational around you or people attacking you or there's an i can't i find where i used to be able to cope sometimes now i can't um I stand my ground, but sometimes I'm like, this isn't worth an argument or this isn't worth a this or, mm-hmm. and, but if I try to stay in it, I, I find that I, it just reminds me of the attacks, the mm-hmm. constant attacks of, I think I feel out of control. Um, and I just need to go somewhere, which is where's calm, but you know, it, it affects your body. It affects mm-hmm. like, I can't swallow. I can't breathe. I can't talk. I can't drink a glass. Yeah, I can't take a sip. We're going to have a sip of water. Have it. I can't. I can't mm-hmm. swallow. Um, it's really. It can be. You know, these things affect people in different ways, and you you, you slowly learn. Nightmares are awful. Um, but I use like sleep hypnosis. Yeah. <laughs> um, which helps sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. A lot of it has helped a lot. Um, Recently, I've been having bad nightmares, so I've started it again. But, you know, I've, I think I've, I was trying to wean myself off it. But, um, but you know, work, if I need if to... Works, just... why, why wean yourself off it, though? I mean, if it's something that's good and healthy for you, there's no, you know, use it. Yeah, but then there's a point where, like, you think, okay, well, I've spent, you know, this many months or, like, I might have had a month without nightmares mm-hmm. and I've slept calmly, so let's try it without. You have to, mm. like, you do. Like, why yeah. would you want to stick something on listen every night? You don't need to. Yeah. Um, so you've got to try, and it's trial and error. And I think um, I'm quite kind of prepared for that. I, you're playing with your emotions, but I'm not playing with my emotions. I'm testing... Myself. Yeah, you're testing yourself um, to see if you can. Yeah, and because yeah. I don't want to be, it's not about being weak. Um, mm. It's not. Yeah, it's definitely not about being weak. Um, I'm the kind of person allow yourself to feel your emotion, and then just don't take any stupid actions in your emotion, in your state of emotion. Don't make any crazy decisions in your emotional state, whatever the emotion is. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I'm let that emotion pass, calm down and then carry on. Um, so it's, it, I think I try to be sensible. You know, you coach yourself, mm-hmm. you counsel yourself. Um, 
I think that's what I do. I've always been like my faith again has been a massive part. And sometimes you just sit and you think, okay, I'm going to meditate on, on Vaiguru, the Lord's name um, and do that for a time. And I do it at the gym, like <laughs> do it at the gym. It's like I, I, I meditate while I'm on the rowing machine or, you know, I find the treadmill really mundane. Yeah. So I'll be like, you know, Vaiguru. I grew right as I'm walking and it's like I don't listen to music or there might be stuff on around but that's the place where I do it and it will help me it's like it helps me through like a mundane gym session uh-huh. so it's going to help me through other stuff too so that's fantastic but there's lots of passages like we have um the job a side which is about the fighting spirit job side in the morning that you do which is like kind of calming and instructive and I mean, I know there's times that you can do these things, but that you can do them anytime as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, they just help. They're like your mantras. They're like your self-affirmations sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You can create your own, but we've got some wonderful ones in our scriptures. So, so yeah. we are, um, no, we are, gauging or or, or um, kind of tiptoeing onto some verging on some of the things that maybe we can't we can't talk about and I'm I'm very aware of that and if anything I bring up that you can't say say it I'll I'll cut it out no issue okay okay but when we got to the the end of the podcast and at the end of the documentary um one thing that 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 stood out to me was the fact that you know your life now your life at that point had come to a crashing halt. You know, you'd lost a lot of people that, okay, they didn't exist in the first place, but in your head, you, you lost a lot of people and, you know, you lost the love of your life. It was all, it just all disappeared. But your your cousin just went on with her life. You know, she got, she got promotion, you know, she went on holiday, you know, mm. and you, at the end of the documentary and at the end of the podcast, you were on your quest for accountability. And I'm trying my best to carefully word this now so we don't <laughs> we don't step into that boundary. Yeah. Um so yeah, so you were on this quest for for accountability. Um are we getting somewhere with it? Is it is it because catfishing catfishing isn't illegal, is that right? Am I am I right in that? Yeah. Catfishing isn't illegal. Uh, I know there's been lots of discussion about making it illegal. It's, mm-hmm. it's illegal in some states in the US. Um, but apparently we have laws in the UK which would cover all scenarios of catfishing. Uh-huh. So there should be some law that applies. Um, I've been very adamant that I don't want to be the poster girl for catfishing. And I know some people have put me out there as, mm-hmm. you know, she's the kind of catfish. The face kind of. of- spokesperson yeah. for um, anti-catfishing laws. But my, my issue is, if you're saying that we've got the laws in place to deal with stuff like this, then every police officer who's sitting there at the front desk or wherever they are on the end of a phone um, needs to know, okay, this is the scenario. Let's work out which things mm-hmm. apply to this. Um, the training needs to be given. This is, we say new territory, but this has been going on for you know, a few years now. Uh-huh. The cases are becoming bigger and bigger. And, you know, you've got Tinder Swindler out there, you know, all those different things. And mm-hmm. rather than mocking people and rather than kind of saying this isn't really this, this isn't a crime. This, If anything impacts people's lives to the point where 
they can't live their life anymore. Um, somebody else has done that. Surely it's a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it, you know, you've, you've impacted somebody's life where they fundamentally can't move forward anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and whether, you know, and there's lots and things, lots of things it could be, um, you know, we talk about coercive control yes. um, a lot. Um, that comes up a lot when people are talking to me, um, you know, that the kind of, harassment, all of those things. There's so many, there's so many different things it could be. Um, and I think you need, to, there needs to be, I put in the complaint to the IOPC. And again, that was because the police had just not got back to me. Uh-huh. I think there's a step in the middle. They should have, I should have done first, but because nobody told me what that step was, which was my right. Uh-huh. Um, Cause they just went silent. I then went right to the top. <laughs> went a bit mad and just put in my complaint um and again that wasn't taken seriously it was totally dismissed um and so I appealed I had four weeks to appeal that so this time I did it again I wrote it all myself did everything again and then I asked Amrit who features in the podcast um who's a solicitor and had supported me on this journey um um I asked him to sign it as in as a solicitor sure and guess what they listened yeah <laughs> so um all of that the iopc investigation is still ongoing we actually it is still ongoing i think mm-hmm. there's still lots of questions that need to be answered there um but i'm hoping for progress and a positive outcome and i'm hoping that people will sit and listen i mean given that how many people listen to the podcast i hope not just for my sake but for other people's sake i like i did explain earlier that there's other people that i know that have been had this happen to them but just not spoken Mm -hmm. about it but because i have they've reached out one of them had taken it one of them was a male victim and taken it all the way to the police and nothing had happened with him either and and you know people like that I hope it helps other mm-hmm. people who want to go to the police. I hope it helps. And just not even that, just that police p- protect them from the whole victim shaming thing. And the thing is, the more people get taken seriously, the less other people will do it. If mm-hmm. we as a society treat this stuff as a joke, then everybody else is going to see it as a joke. The police are going to see it as a joke. The lawmakers are going to see it as a joke. It's not okay. It's just not okay to play with people's lives like that. You know, and I just wish people who are nasty about it and there's some people like, we need to know this and we need to know that. And, you know, how can you be so stupid? And I just say, look, you're asking, you're asking about me, even if I am the stupidest, most naive, most gullible person in the world, why did that person do what they did? Yeah. You know, that's, that's it. And I just hope it never happens to you or anybody that you love. Because it's frighteningly common. <laughs> so. <laughs> You'd... Um... You'd said earlier that you don't want to be the face of this thing. You don't want to be the the kind of the post the poster person for, um, for for catfishing. But your story being out there is obviously is is helping a lot of people. It's it's making people speak out about this sort of thing. Um, if there was one positive takeaway from this entire experience. If you, if, if you could wrap something positive out, if you could 
reach in and just grab something positive out of this whole thing, what do you think it would be? The positive support and feedback that I've had from people all over the world um, has been really heartwarming, absolutely amazing. Um, and I thank, I'm going to get emotional now, but I really, from the bottom of my, I mean, even every day, every other day, I'm still getting messages. At the time, it was really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but even yesterday, I had a message from a, from a guy who said he'd been through something similar and, you know, he's got a, I've got a lifelong supporter, you know, he's like, you've got a lifelong supporter in me. And just, just, you know, really people who have been gone on to take action because of, mm-hmm my story they feel braver doing it they feel they can stand up if the police doesn't take it seriously they'll feel that they can demand something a bit more mm-hmm. um they understand the process a bit more um you know all, all those that positive feedback um people who reach out um you know don't, i always say to people don't be scared to reach out if you want to reach out reach out i'm not gonna bite your head off i'm not gonna i'm not too I'm no diva, (laughs) you know, it might take me a while to respond, but I try to respond to every single person because it really does mean so much to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So for all of that, I've got to say thank you. And I've got to say, you know, I've got to say thank you to Tortoise for telling it really well. I know it was like a massive journey. (laughs) I know like I wasn't, I was a nightmare sometimes probably, um, (laughs) but um I just wanted it to be respectfully told um, and to be mindful of our community and every everyone. I'm not trying to be nasty to anybody. It just, it's the issues that we need to talk about, you know, and, it, and for lots of people, I just want to say this as well. It's not a witch hunt. I know lots of people out there have been, you know, this is my family still as much as people want to know where, the perpetrator is and things I've seen horrible things online mm-hmm. it's still my family um it's not a witch hunt I just want all of us to behave correctly um it's, it is hard in that sense isn't it because because it is uh, a podcast and podcasts are you know made for entertainment at the end of the day it is sometimes quite hard to to separate the fact that this is real life this is real people yeah. and real people's emotions that we're dealing with here yeah, and I think that's that's what so people don't understand, and people think, and I think this is the thing we're so the internet is it's it's a difficult thing to navigate. It's it, I think it needs to be policed a bit more, whether we how we police it, and, and I've got obviously with everything that I've been through and all the loopholes and everything that I found. Um, you know, for me, the new online abuses, online harms bill doesn't go far enough. And I think for a lot of other people, it doesn't go far enough for children or adults. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's lots to be done. There's lots of ways we do things. It's freedom of speech when you have the internet. The, the freedom of speech is a whole different ball game with the internet. Um, you know, we, do we need to revisit what freedom of speech means? Um, you know, it, that whole concept came about before the internet. It, mm. it, it's, it's, you know, there's, it's dangerous. Um, we do need to put things in place. We use the internet for absolutely everything. We've policed the real world. 
we do business on the internet. You know, we do everything. So why yeah. why are we as a community scared to police the internet? Why are some people? I mean, does it what? Does everyone have this secret person in them that wants to do naughty things, and the internet allows us to do it? Yeah, it, it you know it's um, quite scary, and there's no filter. There's no filter between me and this laptop and me and my phone. Mm-hmm. There's nobody telling you, oh, don't stalk your boyfriend. You don't need it. It's unhealthy. Your phone's not going to tell you that. Does that old not going to tell you that. Does that old adage? Does that you don't really know someone until you see their internet history? No. <laughs> um, to to wrap up, um, I do want to ask. You mentioned before, you know, that you were in a rush to kind of move forward after everything came out and you, you, you rushed into a relationship and, you know, used the dating apps and things like that. How have your relationships been since, since, uh, since it all happened? Uh, ha- or have you had any even since then? Yeah, I've dated a few people. Um, I just take it easy. Good. Um, you know, it's, it's no different from, you know, anyone who dates me now will know about all of this. And I, you know, I, I only want to be with people who are proud of me for doing what I've done, mm-hmm. you know, not ashamed of me. So and for me, speaking about out about this, it, it's not going to be, and this is the kind of person I am, I only want to be with somebody who wants to be with me for me, right? So they've got to accept me warts and all, just I'll accept them, and just like I'll accept them warts and all. Yeah. But it's that commitment to each other and just not seeing this as a negative, seeing it as a strength, Um and that I'm, you know, I'm not there to hurt anybody. Um, and it, it's, it, you know, it's about just doing the right thing. And my faith teaches me to do the right thing. And I've done the right thing, I feel. Um, we were supposed to stand up for the truth, stand up for people who are disadvantaged, can't defend themselves. And, and hopefully I've, I've done that. Mm-hmm. And it's not always the easiest thing to do, but, you know, and I, I don't know if I would have done the podcast had it not happened the way it had, but I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than let somebody sensationalize something, I just wanted it to be done properly and talk about the issues. Um, so I hope I've done the right thing by me, my conscience, I have. It's not been easy, but... So there we are. Thank you so much again to Kira for joining us uh, today. It's been what such an emotional journey uh, going from even for myself, from listening to the podcast to watching the documentary on TV to getting to chat to her myself and finding out what's going on. Um, there are certain things that we couldn't talk about in the podcast today, but hopefully Kira will come back on and we'll be able to talk about that, um, that very, very soon. Um, take care of yourself. We've got some amazing guests lined up including one next week which you'll find out about on social media just look for me duke writes books all across social media and of course please support the podcast uh, by downloading it by subscribing by uh, subscribing to the youtube channel doing all that sort of stuff and of course if you want to buy us a coffee to support the podcast then please do Uh, the coffee link is in the description of this podcast all right have a great week i'll see you again soon Bye. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 